At Radius, we plant churches. We plant churches to lower the hurdle for people in new communities to come to church and hear about Jesus. In 2018, Radius Lexington sent some of their best out to Radius Rocky Creek. And now, four years later, we stand at our new building with lots of new families and folks attending every week. But at Radius, we don't measure ourselves by seating capacity. We measure ourselves by sending capacity. And so now it's Radius Centerville's time to give back and send one of our best, John Ross Forgery, our student pastor, downtown to plant Radius, Carolina, to lower the bar there for college students, 40,000 of them that need to hear the gospel. A little over two years ago, Radius Southside was born. And by planting a church right here in downtown Columbia, we've seen folks from all walks of life who meet here in this room on Sunday mornings and have the chance to come face to face with Jesus. But as we've realized that even if this room was full five, six, seven times on a Sunday morning, there's still tens of thousands of people, college students, young adults, families who live and work in downtown Columbia that are not a part of what we're doing on Sunday morning. So insert John Ross and Emily and Radius Carolina. We could not be more excited to be an incubator, a space for them to get their feet on the ground downtown and to grow into what God has for this seventh campus to be. So excited to partner together to reach downtown Columbia, the Midlands, the state of South Carolina and beyond. Hey everybody, my name is John Ross Forgery and I'm the campus pastor of Radius Carolina, the seventh church plant of Radius Church. We have been so blessed, me and my wife Emily, as y'all have been texting us, calling us, having conversations with us as you recognize the need for a night church here in downtown Columbia. However, before we're ready to launch, we do need a couple more things. And if you'd like to partner with us, there's two huge things I would encourage you to consider. Number one, I'd encourage you to join with us in prayer. Obviously, we need God to be moving downtown in the hearts of the people we're trying to engage with as we go onto campus, as we meet people in restaurants, as, as we move throughout Columbia, we would love for God and desperately need Him to go before us. Second thing I would encourage you to consider is possibly joining us on our launch team. If you are passionate about engaging people who may not be in church right now, excited about lowering that hurdle for people who don't have free Sunday mornings or who work late into the Saturday evenings, we would love to have a conversation with you about possibly joining our team. So please shoot me an email, shoot me a call or scan the QR code. We would love to hear from you. So we're really excited about Radius Carolina. It is an opportunity that we've been looking to take advantage of for a long time. And we're really thankful that the Lord provided John Ross and his wife Emily to go down there, the perfect couple to meet this need. And if you don't fully understand what, what you just heard, we're starting a seventh campus. Radius Centerville is sharing a staff person. Radius Southside is sharing a building and probably a few of their folks. And we're going to want to establish another church on Sunday nights downtown that specifically reaches a group of people that only come at night. This is close to my heart because my very church, first church plant over 20 years ago was in a college town. We met at night and a lot of college students came at night, but also a bunch of 20-somethings that did not come in the morning. 
And so we're super excited about that thing getting started. I've already getting feedback from folks. I got a text this week asking for John Ross's contact because he knew a 22-year-old they wanted to plug in with John Ross. Hey, if you got a contact, ask your campus pastor. He'll get you connected to John Ross. We really want to get this thing going and really penetrate that population downtown. So uh, as I start, I want to pray for them. This is an all-radius Sunday, so I'll pray for us. And then we'll, uh, we'll jump into the message. Father, we celebrate you and your love for the people in our radiuses. We know that you love every individual that uh, lives in our little part of the world. And we would, we'd ask you, Lord, that you would give them the good news that you trusted us with, that they would believe, hear it and believe it that you use us to reach some. We pray for the other churches right here near us. We pray that they would as well present the good news to folks and you'd reach some through them. Lord, we we want our neighbors to know you, Lord. So we trust you with Radius Carolina. We pray for John Ross and Emily that you would protect them in the process, that you prepare them well for this in the process, that you give them just the right core group to start this, this night church downtown. Uh, we are excited, Lord, but we realize it only works if you want it to work. So we pray that you would go ahead of them and you would stir things up to your glory. We trust you, and now as we, we talk a little bit today and look at your word, uh, we want you to speak into our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So the last time we had an all-radius Sunday, I sat right here, and we talked about this $10 giveaway. At this point, I'm calling it the $10 parable because it worked better than I possibly could have dreamed it It working. It made us evaluate all these things. It's really funny how $10, for some of us, not a lot of money, for others a lot, uh, just grabbed your heart in some kind of weird way. And so you ask questions that you wouldn't have asked if there wasn't money tied to it. Let me remind you of a couple of the reactions as we gave out the $10 bills. My, my very favorite reaction was in the Walmart parking lot. By the way, we learned you want to give $10 away. Walmart parking lot's a really good place to do it. Uh, a single mom with her child uh, was walking by, and I, I basically forced $10 on her. And she took it, went to the door at Walmart, and she turned around, and she came back and just thanked me. And then she said, I, I don't need this. And I said, well, well, why don't you do something else with it? Like, well, why don't you give it to somebody? And very quickly, she processed through her mind a friend of hers that she knows. And so she was going to take your $10 bill and have it kind of go through her hands and go to somebody else. And to me, man, that was exactly the picture that I was hoping was going to come out of the $10 parable. But then there's another story. The Radio Southside downtown, uh, they, they championed the gas station right near your building, as you know. And uh, eventually, the frat guys got wind that we were giving away $10 bills. And this is going to make some of you uncomfortable. So the frat guys start lining up for $10 bills so that they can purchase, yes, exactly what you think they wanted to purchase. They wanted to purchase as much of it as possible so that they could, so they could abuse it that night. That's, that's what they were really, they were really t- wanting to take your $10 and squander it. I love the stress that that puts on us, right? Like, I don't love what they're doing. I love what the lady did. But it puts this 
crazy stress on us as a body as we process it, like most of Jesus' parables did. Uh, some of y'all from the very beginning, you're like, this is fun. I love doing stuff like this. In some ways, you're saying that radius, you're, you guys are crazy with these ideas. One of the ladies at the partner dinner, if you missed the partner dinner, by the way, you missed it. Um, she was a little bit older than me. She's from from uh, Radius Centerville, and she sat down at one of the tables that I was walking by, and she goes, that $10 idea, she goes, that was genius. I was like, could you put that on tape for me? I need to pass that on to some other people. Some of y'all, like when we asked for the $10, you just immediately went, it's just $10. Like, what's the big deal? I mean, this is another one of the crazy ideas around here. I'll get in. I'll put my $10 in. There was a young man, actually a boy, who gave all that he had put into $10, which I think, man, was humbling for me, for you. It ought to just encourage your soul. As a matter of fact, I think he got to $8 or $9 and, and uh, earned the rest. Beautiful story of putting $10 together. For some of us, it was just $10. Others, it was very much a lot. Some of you are stubborn, and I might know a little bit about that. And when we asked for $10, your first response was, anytime somebody tells you to do something like that, you're a no. You're willing to say no no matter what happens, and I appreciate you because I understand you. I had one guy that fits that category meet me a couple weeks later when we explained what happens, and he was like, oh, man, I missed it, which is great. That's who we are. We're a room full of people that process things differently, and you put a dollar on it, strangely enough, it stresses us, and we have to think. I've had a few folks say, and they always start with this, this is the compliment sandwich. Man, we love Radius. We love what Radius does with Give Hope and all the giving that we do. But man, I just don't get that $10 giveaway. And it just stressed you. You know who you are. It just stressed you. And I think probably what stressed you was not the $10 out of your pocket, but when you heard that there was 1920 other $10 bills, $19,200, you were just like, this doesn't, this doesn't feel responsible. Perhaps, like me, you're the oldest child in the family, and so you're responsible, and that just stressed you out. Well, for the record, the $10 parable just worked like a champ because money seems to be really connected to our heart. And no matter how you processed it, really, really healthy for you to process. So let me apply that parable a little bit more. If you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus walks the planet, particularly for three years, and he distributes grace. He distributes it at a rate much unlike our, our $10 uh, contributions to other folks' pocketbooks. He, uh, he'd heal a blind man. He'd heal people who couldn't walk or paralyzed. He would uh, make a guy who's mute speak again. Have you ever thought about what they did with that grace? Like, I wonder how many hours it took the blind man to covet something else. I wonder how long it took him to lust again with his eyes for the first time. <laughs> what how Jesus thought about that? I wonder when the paralytic, after he could walk again, skipped work. Like, he just was lazy one day. He didn't. He didn't want to go out in the field that day. Or when the mute, the guy or the lady who could never speak, all of a sudden can speak, and she saw something funny about somebody else, and she slandered them or she gossiped about them. I wonder how long that took. 
He raised a few people from the dead. And I would imagine within hours, they abused that grace. Luke chapter 17, there's a pretty crazy story. It's about 10 lepers, they all, men that had leprosy. They cry out to Jesus, and Jesus gives them instructions. And on their way to see the priest, they're healed. Their leprosy disappears, so they're now clean. Eventually, one of them, actually, it, it, the passage actually points out that he's a non-Jew. He's probably Palestinian. Like, like he's the one of the ten, the one Palestinian comes back, and he thanks Jesus for healing him. And then, then the story ends, and it just, Jesus says to him, where's everybody else I healed? Just this really interesting thing. All ten guys got healed. The, the healing wasn't revoked. They all healed. But one of them actually, and I want you to catch this, had gratitude. He actually enjoyed it more. He got who the healer was. And so not only was he now free from leprosy, he got to have this involved relationship with the healer. So we spent uh, five weeks in the book of Galatians. Your campus pastor has been taking you through it. It has been a great study for each of us that have taught it. It's, It's challenging us with God's grace. We're just consistently emphasizing the fact that God gave us grace for free and that has given us freedom and Paul's arguing in the book not to give it away like keep that freedom we decided in the middle of the Galatians series uh, earlier uh, late in the summer what we wanted to do was take this series that's all about God's generosity his grace and then talk about one of our values right in the middle of it which is living generously so like we've talked about God's generosity for five straight weeks, and then today we thought we would start a three-part series. Your campus pastor will pick it up next week about living generously. Through the years, uh, as I've led and planted churches, this is one of the talks that make me nervous. I start sweating. Uh, matter of fact, it is why we have boxes in the back and don't pass the plate. I've never passed a plate at a church plant because it just makes me feel Awkward because I know some of you have some really hard stories of how the church is treated that poorly. So I kind of want to run away from that. It's probably a little bit of pride on my side. I never want anybody to think that I'm doing this because of it's just a job. I, I want people as they listen to us preach the word to know that we're passionate about this and it's not about pay. All that kind of gets in my head and I start running away from it. And so if you've been at Radius for 19 years, you're going to have a hard time remembering any time we've done three talks on generosity. We talk about generosity all the time. But we often don't teach about it from the Bible. Jesus, talk, Jesus talked about it often. And over the course of the summer, I, I really thought I'm probably leaving us short by not talking about it at all. It is one of the very best parts of my life personally. Kind of makes no sense to be that passionate about something personally and not share it with us corporately. And so that's what this will be for the next three weeks. I watched this uh, SEAL team show. I am a sucker for any good SEAL team military show. And the last one I saw, I shed a few, few tears. Uh, one, of the, one of the guys on the team got hit and he lost his leg. It wasn't, we, they weren't sure whether he was going to die or not. And so one of his last conversations he had on, on what he thought might be his deathbed was to uh, the, the guy ahead of him. He, he just speaks kind of into his ear and says, man, it was all worth it. I was glad to be a part of the team. 
but he's also proud of the cause. And as, as I was just getting ready for this series on we are living generously, which is what we're doing here at Radius, and thinking about how to apply it to you individually in your seat, I want to say to you as clearly as I can, one, I think this conversation is good for your soul personally. And then based on what Christ has done for us on the cross, his generosity to us, it is worth it. I would be willing to ask you to die for your faith in Jesus. I certainly am willing to have you consider giving up your resources to follow Jesus. I, I want to make a pretty strong statement right out the gate so you'll know where we stand. If you don't live generously, you're not a follower of Jesus. That sounds maybe a little harsh. You might be a Christian, but if you don't live generously, you are not a follower of Jesus. Following someone actually requires you to do the things that they do. So you might be following someone. It's just not Jesus. If, you, if your money doesn't follow Jesus, then your heart doesn't follow Jesus because they seem to be intimately connected as we read through the Scriptures. I've spent uh, a good bit of time in the last few weeks listening to a guy named Andy Stanley. He's in Atlanta. He's a great communicator. It's hard to watch him. He's so good. You want to try to imitate him, and I can't. But he spent multiple Sundays. He talks about this regularly with his people. He does it in just, just a great way. And one of the things that I love that he does, he always addresses folks in the room that don't know Jesus yet. So, by the way, if you're at one of the Radius churches this Sunday and you don't know Jesus, man, we love having you here. And if you don't know Jesus, then you're not a follower of Jesus. So there's no pressure on you on this. You, you kind of take it in and sort it out for what it is. But if you do know Jesus... It just doesn't make any sense for a follower of Jesus not to, be a, not to be generous because, as Andy Stanley says, money is just a means to an end. So at your funeral, like nobody's going to talk about what you drive or where you lived. Nobody's going to talk about the things that you have. They're all going to stay here. Now, they might burn down someday or go away in that sense, but all of the cash is staying here, and you're going to go into the grave, and you're going to face the living God. At your funeral, there'll be people showing up, and you know what they're going to talk about? They're going to tell stories. They're going to tell stories about your life. Hopefully, they got this plethora of stories, and they're going to stay there for a long time telling stories about who you were. And so they may tell stories about what your money did as a means to an end, but they're not going to talk about your money. Jesus, a much better parable uh, teller, storyteller than I told several parables that related specifically to our cash. He tells this story in Luke chapter 16, and I want to spend the majority of our time in this passage. Jesus is completely comfortable with making people tense, and so he does that on a regular basis. He's going to do this in this passage. So blame it on him if it feels a little awkward for you. Luke chapter 16. Jesus told this story to his disciples. So you can imagine, if you know the Bible very well, and you know there's at least 12 guys there, there's probably more, probably more disciples. Disciples just followers of Jesus. So they, you can imagine them circling up around him, and he decides to tell them the story. It's a great way to teach. Hopefully you do it with your kids at, at times at home. Like you tell the story, it's a great 
teaching mechanism. And if you go down in the passage, as you get to the end of it, verse 14, 15, you'll notice that there's some other folks on the periphery, and they're listening. And those folks, some of them are Pharisees. And the Pharisees would be very much like the people that, Galatians, that, that Paul is writing the Galatians to. So they're listening, and the disciples are taking it in. Jesus is going to teach this story, and it's going to hit them all different, which is pretty fun to watch. Here's what it says. There was a certain man, there was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. And one day a report came to that manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. I guess in those days you didn't have to go pack up your box and just walk up straight out the door. The boss man, the owner, the master very quickly dismissed this guy, but gave him time to get the reports in order so that he could pass the book back to the master so that the master could pass that on to the next person who was going to manage his finances. So you got like two players in the story. You got the master, the owner, and you got the manager. And when Jesus tells a story, almost always one of the characters is going to represent God. And you can imagine which that is, the certain rich man. We'll see him again in a minute called the master. And then he generally represents all people with a, another character. In this case, it's the employer. I mean, the employee, the one who has wasted the, uh, the, the master's resources. And so very quickly, like, people are leaning in because Jesus, when he tells a story, like, you're, you're like this. No, no, no going to sleep on Jesus. The manager thought to himself, verse 3, now what? My boss has fired me, and I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm true, too proud to dig, beg, uh, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. And so then he begins to work out his master plan. This guy, the manager, uh, ain't exactly a hardworking dude. He probably does most of his work at Starbucks, right, behind a computer with a $6 cup of coffee. He, he's, he's that guy, so he's definitely not digging ditches, and he's too proud to beg. So he's got to come up with a scheme, and he does it really quickly how to flip this little bit of time that he has and this limited amount of influence that he has, he's going to flip it for his own good. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? And then the man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. Sounds like somebody that Works at Caraba or something, right? Like it's, a, I don't know what the olive oil exchange is. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. So what's the manager do? He reduces the bill. He gives him a discount. So instead of paying back 800, he gives him a half, half price discount. Cheryl is a sucker for a buy one, get one free, right? Like at Publix. I get my Cheerios there. Buy one, get one free. He gives him a, a half discount. And so the, the, uh, the guy who owes the money is thrilled to get the discount. And the manager is quickly scheming to get himself in a good position with the people who owe his master money. As a matter of fact, you can imagine the guy who just got the discount looking over and saying, hey, give me a call if you ever need anything. And uh, the manager's like, I, I probably might do that. I might do that real soon. Verse 7, and how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him 1,000 bushels a week was the reply. Here the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. 
So again, he gives them a deduction. And again, you, you can imagine this conversation going, hey, uh, if you ever did anything, give me a call. And the manager's kind of working his way so that someday, which is coming very quickly, he will have a, a place to sleep and some food to eat and some influence to. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal. I love the word rascal in the Bible. NLT puts rascal in there. I love that word. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of the world are more shrewd in dealing with the, with the world around them than are the children of the light. I think for a lot of us, when we read this parable, we're as uncomfortable as the $10 bill giveaway the other day because you got this dishonest manager giving discounts to people for his advantage so that he won't have to work in the future. Feels like he's just carrying out more dishonesty, which is exactly what he's doing. And Jesus takes this kind of convoluted story and he applies it in a really interesting way. He, he says the master or the rich man or, or God commended him for taking advantages of the little, time, little bit of time and a little bit of opportunity that he leveraged. At least he was shrewd. And then he says to the children of light, who would have been the Jewish folks, he's not talking to Christians yet. Jesus hasn't died yet. He hasn't been buried. He's not raised again. There are no Christians. He's speaking to the Jewish folks. He's saying, hey, you guys, the children of light, you've been given my word, and, and y'all are just boring. You're not leveraging your stuff for anything. Some of them are actually, they're tithing, but they're not leveraging their stuff for anything. He says that the people of the world are more shrewd than you. And then verse 9, he makes this pretty crazy application, which is what the story's all about. So he'll speak to these guys, the disciples. He'll speak to those Pharisees that are lurking back there on the back row. And he's going to speak to us a couple thousand years later right here in this room. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. I've read this story a bunch of times. I just hadn't looked at that verse real hard until lately. It was moving. Let me read you what Tony Evans says about it. After reading this passage, Evans says this, So they should use their possessions with eternity in mind. In this way, lives will be changed, people saved by the gospel. Such shrewd kingdom people will be greeted in eternity by a welcoming committee of friends whose lives were forever changed by their righteous use of worldly wealth. Some of y'all been living generously for a long time. Happy to serve with you. Those words have to, like, excite your heart. It says, such shrewd kingdom people will be greeted in eternity by a welcoming committee of friends whose lives were forever changed. That is stout. I got to admit, like, I live advantaged life in this way. I grew up in a home with a father who was generous. So I've seen this since I was a boy. I realize that everybody in our room starting a different place. For you, this might be the first time you ever heard a conversation like this. For me, this would have been a regular thing in my home. When I was a boy, my dad would buy stock, and he had this variety of stock portfolio, and he'd walk me through it, and then he'd buy some in my name, and he would have me help him manage it. So I was learning this stuff even as a young boy, and then he would buy some 
uh, he had this Christian camp that he loved. He would buy it in Camp Hope's name. And I, I would watch it. He'd buy all these shares in Camp Hope's name. He says, this is what we're going to do. We're going to watch this stock. And when it doubles, he had a little system. Uh, then we're going to give it to Camp Hope. And so I got, to, I got to witness this as a boy. Cheryl, my wife, she, she grew up in the same way. Her parents prayed for missionaries. And they were consistently sending checks to the missionaries financially to keep them working in other lands, presenting the gospel. So we both saw this living generously in our own home. As a matter of fact, my home, you never saw my dad have more joy than when he was, when he was giving something away. I was, I, my dad was the guy, when you're driving three hours, we are not stopping for a Mountain Dew. I, by halfway, I try it every time. Dad, let's, let's get, can we stop and get something to drink? He's like, no, we're, we're getting there. Like, we're we getting there. But if I had a friend in need or if he heard a story of somebody in my radius that needed something, he would light up and, like, very willing to part with his finances on somebody else's behalf. <laughs> Not on my half, for the, my half for the Mountain Dew, but for somebody else. Sometimes, folks, I think that we think taking our kids to Disney World is being generous and teaching our kids generosity. Not wrong going to Disney World. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes they need to witness you be generous to your radius. It gives them this freedom. I, I get joy out of generosity because he did. He taught me. So when Cheryl and I got married, Percentage giving, which a lot of folks at Radius, that's, that's how we pay the bills here. Folks pick a percentage of their income, and we put it in the pot uh, together. I mean, I, I don't know. You know we're, we're a little awkward about it, so we just have boxes in the back. We've done that since the beginning because we don't want to make, if you're lost, we don't want you to feel uncomfortable. If you don't know Jesus and you're not about this mission, then we don't want you a part of it. Those of us that, like, we're into it, like, we, we take a percentage of our income, we put it in the pot. Cheryl and I, when we heard that when we were newlyweds, that was already a part of our of our uh, vocabulary. For you, that might be brand new. So let's walk with Let's talk about it. Eventually, it became really clear that our very first duplex needed to be used by God. I think we paid $275 a month. Uh, those were some good days. But we needed to have people in it. We need to talk about Jesus in it. And we need to feed people with our money in it. The one car that we had needed to be shared with others. We needed to fill up. The second car that we eventually were given, actually, we needed to fill it up with kids and get them to church. That's what the followers of Jesus do. And there was just all of this joy related to taking our stuff and giving it to somebody else. One of the earliest stories for us as a young couple. By the way, young couples, we got a ton of them here at Radius right now. This is just, I'm giving you a gift. We had uh, we'd saved some money. We're trying to be disciplined. We'd save some money. We're giving some money. We're saving some money. And I was coaching this little, this little basketball team. I would love to tell the full story. We won a championship, by the way. But my little basketball team was full of poor kids. And so I really wanted to buy them jerseys. And we didn't have enough money in our, in our regular deal for me to pay, pay for the jerseys. So I asked Cheryl, we've been saving this money. Could I go into savings account and buy They were Laker jerseys. They were, they were purple with gold on them. They were sweet. The kids were so excited about them. I'm still telling you today, here I am, a grown man, 55 years old, telling you a story about giving jerseys to 12 or 15 kids that I will never forget. My stuff made stories. Tony Norris, Mark Fuller, and there's one, my point guard, Kowalski, I can never remember his last name, came to Jesus and I baptized him. 
after that season. Talk about stories. Your stuff making stories. Ron Blue is a, uh, he's a writer and he, he does a ton of stuff with finance. He's a coach for finances. He, he, uh, he's kind of like Dave Ramsey, except he's not quite as flamboyant. So you may not have heard of him, but he's done all kinds of great stuff on this subject. I, I heard someone talking about him, Andy Stanley actually talking about him this week. He said he, he puts money, we use money in five ways. We spend it, uh, we pay off debt, we uh, pay our taxes government we save it and we give it so we can use money five different ways we spend it pay off debt pay our taxes right we save it and we give it and uh as andy reviewed it he goes i think we do them in about that order which i thought was great he goes we start with spend it me pay off debt me for stuff that i've already spent uh taxes government save me for when i need it later and give it someone else. And so he proposes that we flip the order and we give it, and he simplifies it at this point, save it and spend it. Give it, save it, and spend it, and it, that the potentially that would change everything for us. Stanley, again, calls it a keystone cab- habit, that it will change everything. Not only if you give first, then he, he bets that you will save more and that you will uh, be consumed less. Some of us are consumed by our consumption. It's all we do. It's our whole life. We look at stuff that we want. We dream about stuff that we want. And our different tax categories just make us do it in different ways, right? Like I I go to Kohl's twice a year, and I buy myself a shirt. And when I go home, some of y'all are saying, you do, because you've seen this shirt 20 times. (laughs) That's all right. I know you're paying attention. That's great. I I go to Kohl's, buy myself a shirt, bring it to the house, and guess what Cheryl says every time? I could have got three of those at TJ Maxx. Like all of of us got stuff. All of us in America got stuff. And some of y'all, when you hear TJ Maxx, are like, I could have got it off Marketplace or or Goodwill, because y'all are even better shoppers, right? And then some of y'all are like, I ain't never been to Kohl's. What's next up? Belt. I don't know. Y- y'all know these stores. Belk or the, maybe the boutique down, or, down the road. I was walking by a boutique recently, and uh, it's been about a year, and I saw a yellow sweater on the outside rack, outside the store. Not brave enough to go inside of a boutique. On the outside, there was, a, there was this yellow sweater, and it said $10 rack. I'm like, Cheryl's going to love this. So I bought this yellow sweater and paid for it, brought it home, laid it out. I want her to think that I bought something for a bo- from a boutique for her, which I knew she would like unless I got a good deal on So I laid it out, and she got it out. She goes, that's, that's beautiful. And uh, I, I was very proud of myself. She goes, did you know that was a, that was a crop sweater? I'm like, a, a crop what? Like, what is a crop sweater? She goes, it shows your belly. She goes, I'm 55 years old. I don't show my belly in public. Like, that's not what, I'm like, who makes a sweater that shows you belly? Anyway, there's like, we all have these different levels of stuff, right? Whether it's marketplace or it's the boutique, it does not matter. Stuff is not wrong. Stuff is neutral. But it can steal our soul. We can become consumed by consumption. And one of the ways to protect ourselves from getting our soul stolen is by learning from the very beginning to set aside our resources for others. Turn your stuff into stories. Do you want more stuff or do you want more stories? We opened an opportunity fund for Radius recently. And, man, right now the folks that were 
the originals at Radius, they ride around the Midlands and they see these different buildings with the R on the front. And they go, That's, I have a little piece of that story. The Opportunity Fund gives us all the chance to get in on it and have a little piece of that story that, that when I'm long gone, hopefully these buildings will continue to produce fruit for the living God. That's, that's just good stuff. I hope, I hope you're considering it. Verse 10, Jesus supplies this further. If you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest in the greater th- responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with the things of your own? I don't know if you caught this word in there. Simple little word, faithful. Are you faithful? Uh, faithful implies that you're a manager, not an owner. That all of your resources, everything you got, you're just a manager of. You're going to leave it here. So some myths that I heard this week uh, listening to the podcast. Uh, myths is that generosity is spontaneous. Generosity can be spontaneous, but there are very few people that are really generous, that live generously, that only give spontaneously. As a matter of fact, most of our country gives spontaneously. Like people like see the, the, the pictures and make them a little sad or cry, and they'll give some money here, and they'll give some money there, and they'll give some money over there. But the reality is very few folks that give up just out of spontaneity are generous. They don't live generously. It's, it's just this thing that kind of makes their heart feel better at times. Nothing wrong with that. But let me just tell you, like, from experience, in, my, in our early years, we would percentage give. We would be disciplined to give. And there was this one year where I decided we're just going to give to what we see the needs are. And at the end of the year, we gave way less than we give any of the other years where we were disciplined. Just this weird thing where money and stuff, as you fix your eyes on stuff, all the money's gone. And so for us, it's, we, we have to set that money aside early. Another myth would be that dollars, you have to have the dollars in your account right now to give. Well, when you plan, when you put together a plan, then they don't have to be in your account right now. You can plan for next month or the next month, or you can accumulate and give. You got all these strategies. You don't have to have it right now. When you take out the spontaneity and you plan, then there's this possibility of, of giving for a long period of time. Some folks feel like they just can't give enough so they don't give it all, which would be totally the opposite of what the Bible teaches. Uh, as a matter of fact, Jesus in his teaching in Luke chapter 21 highlights the widow's might. She puts the two tiny little coins in this great treasury where all the rich folks are putting their money in. What does Jesus say? Jesus says that she gave the most. You're like, those two mites wouldn't buy a chair, you know, for one of the radius buildings. But Jesus said she gave the most. So evidently he's actually looking at the percentage. He's, he's, he's evaluating her gift based on what she had. She gave it all where, where folks gave huge clumps of money into the deal, but they had lots. They weren't given out of their poverty. They were given out of their wealth. And so he, he said she gave the most. One of the myths would be that rich people are the most generous. No, rich people are just rich people. Some rich people are generous and some rich people are not. Some poor people are generous and some poor people are not. As a matter of fact, if you're going to go correlation, you'd probably think poor people are generally more generous than anybody else because 
they live paycheck to paycheck, and they, they know how that works in, in the geography in which they live, so they're generally ready to help somebody else because they're not planning for the future. So there's no correlation between wealth and generosity. The, the question is that all of us have to ask right now is, do I live generously? Have I lived generously? And some of you are sitting there like, how? I am so far behind. How could I possibly live generously? And I hear you. I like, really glad you're here and you're willing to listen to me talk this long. Hey, we've got this little thing we call it Financial Peace University. It starts up next Sunday night. I mean, next Monday night. If you want to get in, tell your campus pastor he'll get you in. There's a little fee that goes with it. We'll scholarship it if you need to. Like if you're just drowning in your finances. When we talk about freedom. You got no freedom financially. Hey, we hear you. Let's, uh, let's look at it. Let's help you. But for most of us in America, we just need to get started. Some of us got selfish and started consuming all of it. Others of us just need, like, we just need to start putting $50 a month in somewhere. And I'm not talking about radius. Put it anywhere. Let me give you a couple ways to consider it. One, uh, man, give somewhere where you have a grateful heart and give somewhere where your heart breaks. Like, what does your heart break for? And what are you grateful for? Again, I, I picked that, this up this week. I thought it was a great way to explain why you would ever give to a local church. Hopefully, if, like, you're giving to a local church, you're grateful for it. Like, out there at Radius Saluda, you're grateful for how real trail, Trey's preaching is. And so you, like, you just want to participate. You just want to participate in making that thing go. Perhaps you're out at Centerville and you're all those thousands of kids you have out there, like Tracy taking care of the kids out there and teaching the Bible to them. You're just grateful for what your kids are getting. So you'd, you'd want to participate. At Southside, we've been giving that crazy building. Lots of good stuff happened there. But you're like, it's just crazy what the Southside Baptist people did. We're going to model after them, and we're grateful for it. So we want to participate with it financially. I can go down the list. And Irmo, they're small, but they are generous. And so you might just be proud of the generosity at Irmo. So you, you want to own it. Um, I have heard so many people talk about how they've been changed by groups at Radius Lexington by being a part of a small group, by for the first time ever praying out loud. Hey, it's a great way to participate with Radius. It's a place that you're grateful. It's, it's a place to give. And students over at White know they just crush it. Wes and his crew over there, they, they hang out with these students. So if you've got a kid in the student group, you might you want to participate. Hey, if you've got a kid at a church away at college and that church is blessing your kid, then you probably, you're probably grateful. You want to send some money their way. Maybe write a check at the end of the year to that church. I, I, I led one of those churches. We loved it when a parent participated with a kid in a college church. Uh, let me say this directly. Unexpressed gratitude is ingratitude. So if your money <laughs> doesn't, look grateful, you're not grateful. Right? Like, unexpressed gratitude is ingratitude. I literally wrote that on my page, and I put my wife's name beside it because sometimes I think that I'm grateful for how she serves me, and I never express it. Shame on me, right? 
So just start. Like the first step is just take a step, whether it's radius or somewhere else. Hey, if you if you're at a church and you're not grateful for the church, you probably shouldn't be at the church. You probably ought to go somewhere else. It doesn't make any sense to sit in somewhere for a long period of time and like be upset about it. Just go somewhere else and go to a place where you can be grateful and participate with them and own it as they go forward. What breaks your heart? Man, we've got the easy center around here. They care for impoverished kids, and I know that breaks some of y'all's hearts, and you put your money and your time where, where you're mouth is. We got folks that uh, help lead and and participate financially with Lighthouse for Life. We love that. There's a missions organization we love called Empower One. We've got some friends over in India that we love to support because of their work for people there. Like we're, it's, it breaks our heart, the people there that need Jesus. And so we here at Radius send funds there. What breaks your heart? It might be something totally different, but whatever breaks your heart, today would be a good day to write them a note. Tell them that you're thankful for their work and then find a way to participate. We do give hope, as you know, every year about Thanksgiving through Christmas because we love to give funds from Radius to organizations in the Midlands that care for impoverished folks. So we, we gather all the money and spread it out. It breaks our heart, and we're able to get it to the right people. It's just fun. I've talked long enough. When I was 22, a financial planner came to my house, and he gave me, he had this long spreadsheet of if I started investing this much money, by the time I was 65, I'd have that much money. Great big nugget of money, right? And uh, he put the sales pitch on me. He went hard at me. And, uh, I just wasn't sold. But, but he showed me how that money over the course of a lifetime would exponentially grow. Some of y'all are on that path. I love it. it that, that comes right out of the Proverbs. Certainly a quality to go along that path. Cheryl and I decided during that period of life that we were going to invest everything we had uh, in the things of God. And so I got that same spreadsheet. Uh, we, not, we, we don't got no nest egg, right? But at the end, when we get to eternity, there's been a lot of investment, both with our time and with our finances. And part of my job as a husband was to lead Cheryl to that. She was already on board, but we decided to do that together. And one day, man, we see Jesus. There's going to be all these other people there, just like the parable talks about, that we're going to get to celebrate him with. I'm afraid, and the reason I'm willing to preach about this, even though it makes me a little uncomfortable, is that at the end of your life, we're only going to be able to talk about what you ate, drank, and the times where you had a lot of fun. That's all we're going to know. And you're going to have missed it. Living generously will make you more happy. It'll make your family have more joy. It'll bless your community. Our nation would be way better off. The world would be. Here's what's interesting. At the very end, Pharisees sitting in the, in the far back. The Pharisees in force, verse 14 have heard this talk. They're thinking about the money that they love. Here's what happens. Pharisees who dearly love their money heard all this and scoffed at him. One translation says they sneered. 
And then he said to them, you like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. What the world honors is detestable in the sight of God. Here's our word again. Your money follows your heart. So if you're not living generously, you're not a follower of Jesus. Today would be a great day to just start having the conversation. Nothing to be embarrassed about. Like we've, we've been there. Let's rally up, get with your campus pastor, get with your group leader, and let's talk about it. Let's come up with a plan that would change that trajectory for the rest of your life. Appreciate you walking through, with it, walking through it with me. Let me pray. Jesus, we continue to be awed by your grace and your generosity. We celebrate it every Sunday by breaking bread and drinking this juice. As we walk up and take it, we proclaim your immeasurable generosity to us. Recognize we did not deserve it, and yet you gave it. And every one of us in this room, Lord, we know that we've abused that grace, that we haven't used it well. And some of us, Lord, even as we talk about resources, just sit here frustrated that we've consumed all of our stuff for as many years as we've been on the planet, and we, we've, not, we've not followed your example, Jesus. So meet us, meet us in this moment, Lord. Where there needs to be conviction, bring it on, Lord. Save us from ourselves. Where there needs to be encouragement and uh, hearts excited, then bring that on, Lord. If there's something specific that you're trying to say, Holy Spirit, help us hear it. We trust you with it. We want to live generously. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.